Anyway, the reading this morning comes from Colossians 1, and I'm reading from verse 15 to 23. And you can find it on page 1182 on the Bibles in front of you. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." Thank you, Sue. I must say, I was a bit cheeky. I thought, I don't want to follow it. (laughs) So I got you two. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you we can be here today. And Lord, as we stop and ponder who you are and importantly who your son, the Lord Jesus, is, fill our hearts with awe and wonder, with faith And with obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder in your life when you've been left breathless by something because of its incredible wonder, power or majesty. Now, I've had a number of occasions in my life where that's happened. Uh, I'm just going to show you two of them uh, to introduce this message. And the first was when I was over in Toronto just a number of years ago. I had the privilege and pleasure of going for a very short trip. I think it was about a seven-day turnaround Toronto and back, uh, which is a lot of time in planes. We had one day free, and we travelled down to Niagara to see the famous Niagara Falls, and that's them you can see. And just have a listen and a look. Now, that's from the top. Uh, Here it is from down below. And just witness and experience the power. have to say I've seen a lot of things in the world the power that was on display that day is just something else Uh, what was frightening was how close you can walk to the edge up the top Uh, and the the, honestly the fence was this high Um, and you can literally just jump over and just go over Um, not that you'd want to but you could just feel 
this power, as soon as you got close, you actually got covered in spray. They had rain jackets there that you could take. Um, you could hear the power. There was just this thunderous roar of water pouring down, gigalitres of water coming down. And you could see the power uh, as masses of water tumbled over the edge. It was incredible. It was mesmerising. Um, and it was just one of these experiences where you just stood in awe watching nature's power at work. Now, that's one from the natural world. When I was young, I had the privilege of going to Europe and we went to Italy as a part of the trip. And I thought the, uh, the kind of awe-inspiring moment would be at Chelsea home ground, Chelsea v Liverpool. Now, let me say, that was a great moment. But one that caught me completely by surprise was when I went to Florence and my friend said, we must go there. And he said, we've got to go to the Academia Gallery. And you walk into this gallery and there's numbers of kind of typical uh, exhibits from the different ages, Renaissance, etc. And then you walk through this corridor, and at the end of the corridor, it's quite wide, there's this incredible dome, and there's this statue that stands at the end of it, and it's David, as depicted by Michelangelo. And that's David from the front, and you can see this circular room that David stands in, and it's incredible. I want to show you how big it is. Have a look at the guy there in the scaffold on the right. He's as big as the knee. And honestly, you walked in and all around the room, people are just sitting on the floor. And this cultural Philistine, who thought sport would be the high point of his uh, time in Europe, sat there for 30 minutes, speechless, as I witnessed the glory of what Michelangelo had created that day. It was awe-inspiring. I mention these two experiences because today we need to do the same. And I want to take us to something even more breathtaking than Michelangelo's David, even more powerful than the waterfall at Niagara. Today we're going to stop and we're going to look at probably one of the most profound descriptions of who Jesus is in all of Scripture. Now, there's numbers of wonderful passages that people will have uh, fond attachment to when you think of the Lord Jesus. I think this one that we're looking at this morning is probably the most profound. It was penned just 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. It's penned probably 20-odd years after the Apostle Paul has had his Damascus Road experience and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to stop and feel the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to witness his majesty, uh, to reflect on the profundity of who he is and what he's done, and just to be moved by him. And there's really only two things I want to say this morning as you think about Jesus and this incredible description. He is the supreme Lord of all, and he is also the sufficient saviour for all. Let's think about those two key ideas. If you've got your Bibles there, turn up to page 1182. I've got the verses on the screen though, because I want to just relax and just kind of think and look and reflect. So if you want to look up 1182, Colossians chapter 1. But let's just start where this passage starts, which is verse 15. And it's after a call to prayer... Paul has said, I'm praying for you, and he wants them to be growing in numbers of areas, their knowledge of God, 
wisdom in terms of serving God, good works. He wants them to have strength and power to endure. He wants them to be filled with joy and thanks. And I take it the way he sees all those prayers in the first instance answered is because people have a, will have a deeper understanding and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to verse 15 and it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. And those words can just roll off the tongue so quickly because they're familiar words. But let's just stop and think about these words through this passage, verse by verse, phrase by phrase. Paul is saying, This man, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he had met on the Damascus Road and no doubt in my mind had witnessed in his ministry on the streets and pathways between Galilee and Jerusalem, He says, this man is actually the image of the invisible God. And what he's saying there is twofold. He's firstly saying that when you look at Jesus, you actually see what you cannot see in terms of where God is, who God is. And it's a question people often ask. Well, where is God? Show him to me. Well, Paul says, you can see him when you see the Lord Jesus. John records this of the Lord Jesus saying, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says this, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. In other words, when you look at Jesus, you actually see the full wonder of who God is. But let me say, when it says he's the image of the invisible God, there's more. At the very beginning of Genesis, it says that male and female, he made them, He made them in his image. And all of us are significant, no matter where we are in our spiritual journeys, how far away we might be, because all people are made in the image of God. All of us. And what we see in the Lord Jesus is not just, if I can say, um, we see the radiance and the exact representation of God's being. We actually see true and real humanity. And the most perfect picture of humanity is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that video I showed you depicts the wonder of his humanity. He's incredible. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Now this phrase has often been picked up by fringe groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, to say to people, well, there you go, Jesus is a created being. He's the firstborn over all creation. Uh, What they don't do is read those words in the context of Scripture and how Scripture uses the phrase, the firstborn. And it's not a description of being created, it's a description of rank or honour. In other words, the person who is first is the one who's got the highest honour. And that's exactly how scripture uses it. In Exodus, the people of Israel are called the firstborn in the sense that they were the nation that God had chosen out of all the world. They had first rank. In Psalm 89, it says, the coming Messiah will be called the firstborn. In other words, he will rank number one. And when it says that Jesus is the firstborn, he's saying he is the one who has the first and the highest rank and highest honour in all of creation. At other points in scripture, it says he has the name that is above every other name. Paul goes on. For in him, all things were created, 
things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And you can see here why to say he's created makes no sense because what he says is, the one who has the first rank, the one who is supreme, is supreme for these reasons. In him, all things were created. And you think of the world that we live in. You think of the creatures in the sea, the stars in the sky, the galaxies that surround us, the universe that is immense. All things were created by him, things in heaven and on earth. You think of what's in the water that surrounds us here so wonderfully and manly, the sharks, the whales that we love to see come past, the beautiful cuttlefish that's in Cabbage Tree Bay that people like to snorkel and see, uh, the schools of fish that I love to see and catch, all of it made by God. Uh, You think of the wonder of this world, Niagara Falls is just one part that is so incredible. You think of the Rockies, tick, the Sahara Desert, tick, Uluru, tick, the Great Barrier Reef, tick, the Antarctic, the Arctic, all of those, tick, 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 he's made them all. It's incredible. All of creation is profoundly connected to Jesus. He is the creator of it all, ourselves included. And here's the thing, what Paul says next is this, All things have been created through him and for him. What is the purpose of creation? It's a good question. What it's saying here is creation is created for the Lord Jesus Christ. You could say it is heading towards him. He is the one that all history and all creation will be summed up in. Christ, at the end, will rule visibly over everything. In the way that we do not see that now, but believe it now. Our history hurdles towards a day when he will be installed on the throne as the King of Kings. All things have been created through him and for him. He had the first word in history as he made the world. He will have the last word on history as he judges the world. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things together. And so he doesn't just have the first word in history or the last word on history, he actually has every word in between. And what this is saying in this particular phrase is, he sustains us. He's made us, History is heading towards him, and in the meantime, everything is being held together because of him. And every day you wake up, and as you see the sun rise on the ocean, every day as you go and see the sun go down, and as you put your head on the pillow, and you understand and believe that there'll be another day, it's only because the Lord Jesus Christ is sustaining all of this. The sun rose this morning because he sustained it and enabled this world to carry on for another day. The sun will go down this afternoon because he is sustaining this world. It will come up again in the morning because he is sustaining this world that we live in. And he sustains all of us. And it's worth remembering this and acknowledging this, that he is the one that when things seem totally out of control, when life feels random and chaotic, when the wheels are spinning and you think everything on earth is happening in ways that shouldn't be happening, We actually can step back and go, no, Jesus is still on the throne. 
and he is still ruling this world. And it's one of the things I say to myself. Is the resurrection not happened? No. Any new evidence? No. Jesus still on the throne? Yes. Will life go on? Yes. Get up and get on with your life, Bruce. He's looking after things. You needn't worry. Just pray. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. What's fascinating is what comes next. It says he is the head of the body, the church. And you might expect him to say he is the head and the ruler of everything. And that word has that connotation. To be the head is to be the leader, the ruler. But it's not. He's not the head of everything at this point in time. In fact, as we go on in this passage, we'll see that there are people who are not reconciled to God, who are enemies with God. The people that he is the head of is his body, the church. And at this point in time, when this letter was written, they were a very small group. And they were the ones who were acknowledging that he is the king and that he ruled. And no doubt all creatures and beings one day will have to bow the knee before Jesus as the king. But in this day, it's only his body, the fellow believers in Christ, who acknowledge this reality. And we live in a world where Christ is not worshipped as king. We live in a world where he is not acknowledged to be the ruler of everything. It is his people who are proclaiming that, that he actually is the Lord and the Saviour. And he is our head and our leader and ruler and servant king. But there's more. Paul goes on to say he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now again, when you have this phrase, the firstborn, it's not speaking in terms of actuality, that he is the first person resurrected from the dead. Uh, think of Lazarus. Lazarus was resurrected by the Lord Jesus amongst, amongst a number of other people who were resurrected in his day. What it is saying, he is, has the first rank as those who are resurrected from the dead. And as the one who came to live a life we could never live, he is raised from death on our behalf. And his resurrection begins the resurrection age that we live in. Why? So that in everything he might have the supremacy. In other words, he has the supremacy in creation. He has the supremacy today sustaining us. He will have the supremacy at the end of the age when he rules and judges. And he also has the supremacy in salvation. He is the resurrection from the dead, the first ranked one. And it's also that he might reign supreme in all things, including our salvation. And then you get this wonderful phrase that finishes it. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Sometimes you will hear Christian speakers give a gospel message or a supposed gospel message when what they're saying is this, if you come to Jesus, he will make you happy. And I don't know if you've heard messages, I've heard numbers of them. And when you give a message like that, it's very easy to reduce the gospel down to me and my needs. That is not the gospel. Though my needs are important in my life, they're completely insignificant compared to the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel announces the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. 
But you see, the wonder of the gospel is as we realize that Jesus is supreme in everything and as we bow our knee to him, what happens? He fills our life with his fullness so that there is joy, there is thanksgiving, there is personal transformation as we come alive in Christ. And that's the great paradox. As you bow the knee, you will find life. As you worship the King, you'll be filled with his presence. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And we experience that reality in the power of the Holy Spirit as Christ and his love and his majesty and his holiness and his power, and I can just keep going on and on, become real in our lives as Christ dwells in us. Let me stop and ask the question. As that great black preacher said, I wonder, do you know him today? Do you know his power in your life? Do you know his wisdom guiding you? Do you know his supremacy over you? Do you know his salvation for you? I wonder, do we know him this day? And not just know about him, but actually know him and the reality of Christ dwelling in us by his Holy Spirit. He is the supreme Lord of all. But the wonderful thing is he's the sufficient saviour for all. And in verse 20, he goes on to say this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is not just supreme in creating us, but he's also completely sufficient in saving us. And what he does here is he contrasts who the Colossians were and who they are now. What they've become in Christ and the way he saved them. And it's described using the word of reconciliation. He has brought people back to God. And it's through his death on the cross and his blood that was shed. And he says in verse 23, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Once we were outside of God's kingdom. Once we rejected God. And if you wanted to define this culture from this passage, our culture is not one that has big thoughts of God. As Andrew said of post-Christian Europe, it's one that is wanting to do away with God. And people are saying, because of science, etc., we no longer, no longer need God. The problem is, deep down, existentially, we wonder what is the purpose and meaning of life. How do you deal with guilt and shame? All of the things that speak of the need of a saviour and of a God who rules over us. But he says, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So we were once alienated, we were once enemies with God in our minds because of the way we thought of him, which outworked in our behaviour. But now he says you've been reconciled, you've been brought back through the physical death to present you holy in his sight. And the death of Christ is one of the most profound things that you can ever meditate upon. That the creator of the world becomes a creature and is subject to the worst evil 
when he is put away and crucified as a common criminal and his blood was shed in our place so that we might be freed and forgiven and reconciled to God. And the picture on view here is it says, this death was so that he would present us holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And what you see here projected forward now is judgment day where Jesus presents his people before his father who is sitting on the throne and he presents us and three words are used we are holy we are those who've been set apart as God's people secondly we are without blemish and you see the language of the Old Testament and Leviticus here that we've been cleansed in God's eyes and thirdly, we are free from accusation. And I was just thinking about that. I mean, who of us could say we are guilt-free? I mean, no one can. All of us will have people who could make accusations about us and our character and our failings that would lead to guilt and shame. But in Christ, we are free from accusation and the great accuser is the devil and he will have nothing to say on that day. And what's the call for us? We must continue in our faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out for us in the gospel. I just want to ask a simple question of us today as we finish up. I want us just to stop and be quiet and ask the most important question you can ever ask. Do you know him? Do you know this wonderful Lord Jesus? Has he entered into your life personally? Do you know him as the one who is supreme overall, including you? that you've bowed the knee, not just that you believe he's there, but you've released control of your life to him and said, you are my Lord. And you know the wonder of him saving you, your sins forgiven, your guilt taken away, free of accusation. Do you know the reality, the joy, the confidence that comes from knowing Jesus. I want to stop and just let us reflect on that. And if this morning you want to come to the Lord Jesus this morning, I want to offer an opportunity for you to actually give your life to him. And then we're going to sing not one song, we're going to sing two songs. Because I thought it's a day we need to rejoice in. In the wonder of who Jesus is. So let's just be quiet and bow our heads and close our eyes. As we ponder that question, do we know him today? And I'm going to ask you to put your hand up if this morning you go, you're saying to yourself, I need to come to him or I need to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus. 
If that's you, just raise your hand this morning that you want to come to the Lord Jesus this morning or recommit your life to him. God bless you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the Lord Jesus, that he is the supreme Lord of all and he is our sufficient saviour for all. For those this morning that want to rededicate their lives to you or come to you for the first time, I pray, come to them now by your spirit. May they know the reality of Jesus Christ over them as Lord, in them as saviour and comforter, walking beside them as friend, underneath them as the rock and foundation and wisdom of their life. May he be everything to them. May he be supreme in and over their lives. Father, we just thank you for the Lord Jesus. We stand in awe and wonder as we behold his power, his majesty, his brilliance, and we say thank you that you've opened our eyes to know him. In Jesus' name, amen.